This Friday on Christmas Eve, Oklahoma will travel to San Antonio ahead of next week's Alamo Bowl against Oregon. We know of four Sooners who have opted out of the game, Perrion Winfrey, Nick Benito, Isaiah Thomas, and Brian Asamoah. Further, we also know that Jaden Hazelwood, Spencer Rattler, and Austin Stogner won't be at the game either since they've all transferred. Interim head coach Bob Stoops said recently that he does not expect anybody else to opt out between now and the bowl game, but these are college kids, so you never know. As of now, Caleb Williams is good to go for OU's tilt against Oregon, and I hope that doesn't change once we get to kickoff on December the 29th. However, if Williams is still kicking around the idea of leaving the program, I'd prefer that he not play in the bowl game. Now, Grant made that comment last episode, and I didn't think much of it at the time, but the more I do think about it, the more I agree that it would be pretty ridiculous for Williams to go through all of the bowl game prep, play in the game, only to leave for a different school when all is said and done. More than three weeks have passed since Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma. More than two weeks have passed since Brent Venables was named head coach. The early signing period has come and gone. Multiple players have transferred around the country. Multiple coaching changes have been made as well. There's enough data on hand for Caleb Williams to make a decision on his future, in my opinion. And here's the thing. Maybe Caleb already has made up his mind. Since our last show, a couple of things have happened that look good for a potential Caleb Williams return. Theo Weiss decided to return to Oklahoma. And former UCF quarterback Dylan Gabriel committed to UCLA. Now, Gabriel was widely expected to be Oklahoma's target if Caleb Williams decided to leave the program. And now Gabriel's off the market. But in this day and age of social media and leaks everywhere, it's surprising that a definite decision about Caleb Williams's future has not come out by now, which leads me to believe he has not made up his mind, which gets me back to the earlier point about Williams's availability for the Alamo Bowl. Now, playing in that game, only to leave right after, would put Oklahoma in an extremely difficult position. By then, the transfer quarterback market would presumably be really thin. Casey Thompson, anybody? Not to mention Caleb Williams would go from being the most celebrated player in Oklahoma's roster to being instantly despised by a lot of people in Sooner Nation, especially if he chose to go play for Lincoln Riley at USC. Yeah, I know he's a college kid, and he seems like a really good guy, but a choice like that would not go over well in general, whether that's fair or foul. And speaking of fair, I'm trying to be just that. Caleb's a teenager. He made a commitment to this team for this season. And he could simply be thinking, I'm not quitting on my team. I'm going to finish out the year. And then after that, I'll make my decision. After all, when Williams made a commitment to Oklahoma, he had no idea that his head coach would be leaving before the end of his freshman year. So if this is the case... Williams has just been waiting until after the bowl game, and he ultimately decides to stay at Oklahoma. Well, then, you know what? That's great. That's cool. But unfortunately, a decision to leave would sour a lot of people, including a lot of those teammates he did not want to let down by quitting on them before the bowl game. I just can't imagine watching Caleb Williams play in the Alamo Bowl and then see him announce a transfer days later. What a huge letdown that'd be, not just for me, but for everybody who's invested and interested in Oklahoma football. Surely Caleb Williams understands this, and even if he does, it probably doesn't matter at all, because ultimately, 
This is his choice because it's his future. And we don't have any right to make that decision for him. But we do have the freedom to comment on his choice and on his decision whenever he decides to make it. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. After review, there's conclusive video evidence that the ball was touched by a receiving team player, which makes the ball live. Oregon ball. That's a bad call. That's a bad call. The ball was touched first by an Oregon player, not the receiving team, not Malcolm Kelly. So the Ducks get an incredible break. They'll have the ball at the 48-yard line, 106 to go, one timeout to work with. Horrible call by the refute referee. Oh, what an iconic moment in the history of Oklahoma football. Dan Fouts totally having the Sooners' backs back in 2006 against Oregon where the officials totally botched that replay review on the onside kick. And 15 years later, Oklahoma finally gets a chance to get Oregon back for that game. And it happens one week from today in San Antonio. Hey, everyone. Welcome into West of Everest. Once again, I am Lee Benson. And as we get closer and closer to the end of the year, I'll just ask you out there to leave us a rating on iTunes, maybe even a review if you have the time. We prefer five-star ratings and reviews, but we get it. this is life. We get it, and not everything works out the way that you would like, so it's all good. Just best to roll with the punches and just kind of knive on through it. Coming up on the show today, we'll talk OU Oregon in the Alamo Bowl. Uh, we'll talk about it about as best as we can given the situation. Now, the Ducks have a healthy amount of players not playing in the game. Oklahoma, of course, has its share. Uh, who's going to be more affected? We'll see if we can figure out that question later in the show. Also, what's the deal with Caleb Williams? Now, as far as we know, he's going to play in the bowl game. He's listed as the starting quarterback in the official OU Alamo Bowl media guide. But uh, why have we gotten into late December and we still don't know his future? We're going to discuss that. And it appears Oklahoma's 2022 recruiting class has grown since our last podcast. And Grant's super pumped about this kid that Oklahoma has reportedly added And we'll also talk about anything else that may arise on the show that comes up organically. That's just how we do it on West of Everest. So without further ado, joining me as always, a man who's not trying to get too overexcited about his Indianapolis Colts hitting their stride late in the NFL season. That man, of course, is Grant Benson. You're definitely, I mean, you're definitely right about that. I'm, I'm not getting too excited. It's, uh, why, why would I be excited about a about a team, an eight and six team that is overly reliant on the run game. That is, we know for sure that that is a per, the perfect recipe for winning NFL games in the playoffs, for sure. <laughs> so you're telling me that you're uh, you don't think that the Colts will just be able to pound Jonathan Taylor through the A and B gap, maybe every once in a while on, on a pitch play for the rest of the season with success in the most important games of the year. Um, I think it's I think it's more likely um, over the last few games of the season, and I'm sure it'll continue. But as soon as they step onto onto the field for the playoffs, yeah, Jonathan Taylor's not going to be able to run the ball. There, it's Carson Wentz is going to have to win them every single game. But like everyone knows that, so whatever. I mean, it's 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 going to be fun to watch. You excited for this Indianapolis Colts talk? Everyone listening, I, I apologize. We will move on. Uh, okay, so I enjoy always hearing the referee, the announcement from uh, after the uh, onside kick review. That was our intro. 
Uh, and, and then hearing Dan Fouts talk about how that was a bad call and getting really, really heated after watching the replay, Grant. I don't know if we've really gotten into detail at all about the OU Oregon onside kick debacle. I know you were watching it on TV. I was not at the time. I was in college. Uh, I was on a, on a bus trip in western Kansas playing fall baseball because that's what was uh, you know, a priority in my life back then <laughs> in college baseball. So I actually heard... I heard like the game winning. Oh, wait, no, it was a touchdown. No, I, I heard Oregon's like game winning touchdown on the radio because my coach is a big OU guy. And so he was interested in the game as well. My former coach. Anyways, doesn't matter. Uh, so this week I went back and watched that whole sequence again and watched kind of the end of the game as well. And man, I just can't imagine how mad I would have been. If I was like, if I was currently, let's let's say if something like that happened today, in my current state where I'm fully invested in Oklahoma football, I follow it for a living. I know the ins and outs of the team. Uh, you know, we do a podcast here about the team for the last five years. I can't imagine if something like that happened today in a game that affected the outcome that way, how I would react. I mean, I know I'd be very mad about it. How mad I would get? I, I, I'm not somebody that likes to get super mad about stuff. Try to stay. Not too high, not too low, but something like that. In addition to the onside kick, later in the drive, where the ball was obviously tipped, the pass was tipped, and Oklahoma was called for pass interference, and they even reviewed that and said that the ball was not tipped. Another replay review went against Oklahoma later in that drive that Oklahoma, or Oregon went down and scored. Just the accumulation of events, if that happened again in this day and age, Grant, I'm not sure how I'd react and I'm not sure how you're going to go with any of what I just said. So go ahead, comment. I mean, yeah. I mean, in the moment, I was really, I was really upset. Little, little 16 year old Grant was not happy at all. Um, I think as you know, I mean, we're we're 15 years removed from it, 15 years and change, really. And you know, I'm not, I'm not angry about it anymore. I mean, why would I be? I mean, that's not. It's kind of a, uh, a silly thing to be angry about 15 years after the fact. But I and my 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 thinking on it has always kind of shifted though towards I'm just I'm so curious as to what happened what what was going through that that crew's mind, um, and there's a part of me you know like I I think at the time like I was convinced that it was some sort of you know intentional screw job that they were that they saw that they they saw the light that they had and they took it and they decided to to basically will Oregon to win the game. Now that I'm a little older and I know how life works, I know that that probably isn't the case. It probably like it's they probably just had a had had a few instances and moments of extreme incompetence and then probably just being swayed by the emotion of the crowd and the momentum in the moment, I would guess. Um, But gosh, man, that doesn't that doesn't describe why it went to replay and they still couldn't figure it out. (laughs) Honestly, they had a few pops watching the replay. I'm back to the point. A couple Jack Daniels. I hope. I hope it was intentional. I hope they intentionally screwed OU over because that's that's an amazing college football story. I was reading the uh, you know the reports afterwards just to kind of confirm. I know that the entire officials, uh, the, the crew was suspended afterwards by the Pac-10. That's weird saying Pac-10 by the way because that was normal forever and now it's just it's normal to say Pac-12. And I saw some quote, I think, from the replay. I don't know if it was the head of the replay or whatever. He said something like missing that call was keeping him up at night 
and it was he was horrified that he missed it. And my thing is like, man, how, then why'd you miss it? Like it's it, it, it. There's two things, okay? <laughs> I mean, the problem is obviously Oregon touches the ball first. Now you can make the argument as I watch it back and forth, and I I, I don't think you watched this before our podcast. I watched this a couple of days ago, so it's fresh in my mind. Oh, dude, it's, it's not seared really, into my memory. I don't I don't really need to watch it. Okay. Back. I, I would be somewhat okay with somebody arguing, hey, there's not one really good down-the-line look to 100%. And you, I think you could make, you, you could make this argument. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't believe it. I don't think it's compatible. I don't think it's uh, particularly compelling. But there's not a really good camera angle directly down the line. So maybe in certain camera angles, you could make the argument that, hey, maybe that ball, maybe it's touched by Oregon, but it's gone 10 yards. Because the ball's in the air, may, maybe. Uh, again, I don't think that's right. I'm not compelled by that. But you could kind of maybe, if you really wanted to, have a couple of drinks and watch it back again, you might be able to do it. But then what I would probably come back and say is that the all-22 angle, the all-22 angle is pretty close. Pretty close to right down the line. And it's pretty clear that he touches it before 10 yards and obviously before any Oklahoma player touches it. Okay? So I'll stop there, Grant. I know it, it, you said it's, it's seared in your mind. Uh, do you remember, like... There's not really a definitive down the line angle, but the all twenty two is pretty close. Yeah, I think if you like you said, yeah, if if the issue of the play really was who touched it first or not, that's what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, by the I way, could, so yeah, go ahead. I, I I could see I could see a reality where they come back and they say there's not definitive evidence to to overturn it. Um, in that situation, I I, I can see that. In the it's still wrong, but, though. It's still but here's, here, here's the but, though. And you guys heard it in the intro with the referee. <laughs> and and th- this is, th- this, there's multiple parts of this. The referee says there's conclusive video evidence that the ball was touched first by Oklahoma. <laughs> and that's not wrong. true at all. That's wrong, yes. It was, it was very clearly touched by Oregon first. Yeah, so there's that, and then going again, watching it back again, and, and I didn't watch it live, so I've only seen the replays and I, you know, TV. It's fascinating to me. Fifteen years later, and all even in that game, there's a bunch of camera angles. There's obviously now. I think, you know, I, I shouldn't even say obviously. Maybe not. This day and age, I'm assuming there's more cameras at college football games than they had back then. But that was a big game. So maybe they have the same amount as maybe they have at like a, a Sun Belt game this year. And remember, Anyways, hey, like point- the quality when it was live and what they were looking at is not potato quality like it is on YouTube. Like that game was in high definition. They had high definition cameras. It yeah, was like that was I watched that game in HD. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, though, I went back in our, our News 9 archives and we saved it. And it's so it takes up so much space and it's so difficult, I think, back in the, those days to save things in high definition. Unfortunately, I was watching it in four by three, uh, but still, it's still very clear. You can, you can see it. it's, it's not bad quality, but what I was getting at though, it's fascinating though, looking back that nobody, nobody in the, in the booth, nobody on the broadcast Fouts or his partner, nobody thought to think, wait a second, who recovered the football? Everyone was so enamored with who touched it first and whether it went 10 yards and every replay they showed shows the Oregon guy touching the ball first and kind of the scrum for the ball, and then they'd cut away to the next, uh, the next replay before the ball was even recovered. And nobody thought, took a step back and thought, wait a second, did Oregon ever even recover the football? And on the live, like the live broadcast, 
you see because now we know in hindsight you see Alan Patrick go in and dive on the ball and come out but nobody's focusing on that the camera's not focusing on that they're just focusing on the the massive humanity in the pile with the referees but the ball's not there obviously because Alan Patrick has it and in in hindsight I, I bet Alan Patrick in hindsight probably wishes he would have made a, a more of a emotion that he had the football like would have ran around with the ball like hey I got the ball here hey everyone I got the ball because he didn't do that he just kind of held it up and then held the ball and I don't even know what he did with it afterwards but like if he would have ran towards the pile with the ball like hey guys hey look I have the football what are we doing here I have the ball ha 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 I wonder if anything would have been different because that, that would have gotten the telecast, the, the, the broadcast would have been like, oh, Alan Patrick has the football. Nobody knew he had the ball. It, it, was almost like, it was almost like Caleb Kelly in the Texas game this year. For like five, ten seconds, nobody knew Caleb Kelly had the ball on the broadcast because he just ripped it out of the guy's arms and kind of like held it like he was hiding the ball or something. And then finally, everyone on the Oklahoma sideline was like, oh, Caleb Kelly's got the ball. What the... It, it, it was kind of like that, but even more to the extreme because nobody on the TV broadcast knew that Alan Patrick had the football. And that's the, the craziest thing in all this time is that nobody stopped to think, wait, did Oregon even recover the ball? No, they didn't. I, and see, that's the crazy thing. I didn't even, when I was watching it live, I didn't even know that, that Alan Patrick recovered the ball until probably two or three hours after the game ended. That wasn't even the call was bad enough. Everything that happened with the the touch before ten yards, and then the the missed or the the wrong pi call later on that same drive, all that stuff was bad enough. By that, um, by that point, it was it was already kind of one of the worst instances of like officiating I'd really ever seen. Um, it was the. It was it, it was the video that came out later of like kind of like the end zone view of seeing Patrick recover it. I know a lot of like Oklahoma news stations had that. Um, that's what I first saw and like saw him recovering the ball because I remember, um, I remember back, like I you know I, I would have been back on OU Insider those days. It was kind of the old OU Insider days, and I don't even remember people really talking about Alan Patrick covering the ball until like a few hours after the game, once kind of more news coverage and news footage started to come out too. Um, and then by then it was just, it was just crazy. I mean, every, I think everyone was just sort of caught up in it. And, um, the thing that the th- you bring up that it's fascinating to you that, that just a failure of that magnitude could happen. Um, what's fascinating to me is what's going through that dude's head who signals organs ball when he, he, there's no possible way, right. That he is seeing anyone with the ball because Alan Patrick has it. Yes. That's, yes. that's the most fascinating thing. I think that. That's the thing that you circle. If, if you want to say there's something in bad faith happening here, that's probably what you point towards. And you circle and you say, I know this guy is full of crap because Alan Patrick has the ball. He didn't see anybody with the ball. Um, I don't know. That That's one of those things where I'm just like, ah, was he just totally caught up in the emotion of like the crowd and like, oh gosh, they actually got this. So we're going to... Um, I think that's probably the most likely explanation. But it's just it's it, it's a silly thing now. It, it's it's like the whole thing is so dumb. Like I'm upset it happened just because. No, uh, no, no it, hold it, on. Time out. Time out. Time out. Time out. Time out. No, the, the you're talking about like whoever signaled organ ball. Okay, the best possible read of that referee, whoever it was, the best possible read is that he saw in that whole mass of humanity, he saw at some point the ball go into an organ guy's arms or something like that, and he assumed that he was down. And even though whenever the, everything ended and, and nobody had the football in that pile 
in his mind, he just thought that, oh, I saw an Oregon guy recover it, and he was down, so therefore the ball was just taken from him after the fact, even though it's – that's the best read possible of it. Like, when it comes to the, the – but at the same time, though, that should have been relayed to the head referee, to the replay thing. Hey, hey by the way, like – I'm not. I, I'm pretty sure Oregon recovered it, but the ball wasn't there. <laughs> Whenever I, the guy that I saw recover it, he didn't have the ball. So when you go up to the replay, people make sure they're checking to figure out who the heck recovered the ball too. Like there was a. I think that's the best way you could read it for the guy. I, I I don't think getting caught up in the emotion of the game is is a is a reason for him to signal Oregon football because I don't. Again, I don't think you're. No I don't think what you're ball. explaining adds up. I don't think the guy even got. I think Alan Patrick had the ball already when the guy got to the pile. That's the problem. I don't. I, mean, I, I don't think it's. I don't think it's possible that he that he could have seen Oregon with the ball at all. It happened pretty quickly. It's not the ball was not hidden for a long time at all. Like it's. I. I don't think it's possible that it was ever in anyone's possession. Yeah, and I, I should remember this. I'm going to watch it right back now. Like I'm curious now. I'm going to watch it back as we you know live here on the podcast and watch the first referee who signals something. Okay, massive humanity. Nobody signals anything. Massive humanity. People are blowing it dead. People are blowing it dead. Oh my gosh, no signal, no signal. Alan Patrick has the ball. Okay, wow. Okay, now he's signaling and there's no ball. Holy cow. Wow, this is great podcasting, by the way. So yeah, so, yeah okay, he, the first signal so I Alan saw, Patrick was the had ball, the wasn't ball even already when he signaled. Yeah, yeah, I just watched it back. So like, in, in my mind, I was thinking like, surely when the massive humanity was going on, there was a ref running in there already pointing organ ball organ ball i'm watching it back right now people no there's nobody like there's a guy looking for the pile alan patrick's walking away number 22 on oklahoma in 2006 couldn't tell you because they're they're they're, they don't have their name keenan clayton's like pointing saying like hey he's got the football right here guys like what are we doing here and they're just looking at a pile with no football and then now they they they're signaling organ there's no ball oh number 25 by oklahoma no nick harris is pointing, hey, the ball's over there, guys. The ball's over there, guys. Wow, this is this is this is more fun than I thought it would be. No, okay. it is. It's so, it's, you know it's the most it's the most incompetent moment of officiating I've ever seen. I, you know, I'm just gonna say this is this is totally this is home cooking, man. There's no other way to re- read this. There's no football. There is no football there. How are they signaling Oregon ball? <laughs> I'm bad. I OU fans had every right to be upset about that. That was um, gosh, I even remember. I remember there were people who even had the audacity, like in the national media after that game, to say to even like make the it was just one play. Oh, you didn't make enough plays to win the game, type like arguments, <laughs> which was one of just like I remember like even little sixteen-year-old me who like who wasn't really capable of logic was even at that point in time able to say no. They rule that correctly. Literally, Oregon didn't have any timeouts left. Like it's it's you kneel on the ball and the game's over. The game's over. Like oh, yep, oh exactly you recovered the onside kick. Days later. They made the play to win the game that they had to do, and they got taken away from them. And so, well, not only did one, Oklahoma actually recover the onside kick, but Oregon touched the ball before it went ten yards anyway, so it didn't even matter. So it's like there was multiple facets of the play that went Oklahoma's direction. And I think too, one of the big, one of like the really big things too that I think this is like in context, which makes this worse is that OU fans were, you know, the previous season were coming off of another pretty blatant screw job uh, by replay officials in Lubbock um, in November of that season. 
Um, and you know, it wasn't as important. That was a, that was an OU team that lost four games, and uh, but they could have had one less loss that season. And I think people were still kind of feeling, um, were still sort of feeling kind of pierced by that a little bit. I know I was a, as a teenage kid. Like whenever that whole thing was going down, went like while I was sitting watching it live, and they were reviewing the play. I like I I definitely was thinking about Lubbock from the previous season and thinking I don't feel good about this because it was it was obvious um, in Lubbock a year before that OU should have gotten the call on multiple occasions but they did not um, and so like my cynicism even then was run like I was terrified I was like they're gonna get screwed over here and the entire time I was just like but like also it's clear it's so obvious that 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 Oregon touched the ball so I was just like eh, it's you know whatever I'm I'm being ridiculous I, I had a meltdown man I little little 16 year old Grant had a meltdown and I know I probably was not alone but I was really upset I was really upset at that time and it's it's yeah 15 years later it's more of, it, it's honestly more of just sort of a Honestly, that's kind of a fun memory now, just because we know it didn't matter. Like, oh, you wasn't going to win the title that year. They won the Big 12 championship anyway. Um, it just, it sucks that that's just one loss, you know, on, on their record that they shouldn't have. And um, I think we're going to get into this too. But because um, Bob Stoops brought this up, I think, in like the Alamo Bowl press thing, is that that lone game is keeping his career winning percentage under 80%. Yep. Yeah. Uh, no, it is. Um, and, and also, I, I know I referenced it a little bit ago or at the start of this. It, it wasn't just the missed onside kick. A couple of snaps later, maybe it was two snaps later when Oregon was passing the football, a pass was tipped and then Oklahoma was called for pass interference when it shouldn't have been P.I. I, I think it would have set up maybe a, a third down and long or something like that if it was ruled correctly. And they go to replay review of it. And once again, they come back and say, there's no evidence that the ball was tipped. And you watch the replay, and it's very clearly tipped. It, and, and the TV that fouls the broadcast are like, uh, yeah, it, it goes from being a spiral to a duck. <laughs> like, the ball is tipped. So it should have been pass interference. And so who knows, maybe Oklahoma gets off the field. I think it would have brought up a third down and long instead of gave them a, a free first down. So just on top of it, not only did they totally botch the onside kick, it looked like... It, they, they gave Oregon another call that was very obviously the wrong call. And this, is, this was when replay was a thing, obviously. Like, this was like, my biggest pet peeve ever is like, what's the, like, when you mess up something when replay exists, what are we even doing here? Let's just close up shop and go home. Like, you should be fired on the spot. I, I get that there's some things that are kind of gray area ish or something like that, but these were two plays that were not gray area at all, that were just missed and honestly the only thing you can you can go for that's based off of human nature is uh, cynicism and it was on purpose i'm sorry like that like i guy who says that it haunts you or that you couldn't sleep at night because you missed the call sorry like that's on you man i kind of don't believe you i kind of believe that you didn't miss it on purpose because honestly i totally totally forgot that the that the tipped pass went to replay too i i didn't yeah i forgot about that yeah um and so yeah, because you missed that like one the too. Replay guy, like, like, replay guy that can't sleep. Yeah, I was say, yeah, you, you missed miss- the tip past one as well. You missed two. So I'm sorry. Like I don't believe you that you're haunted by it and stuff. Like and if so, like that's on you. You you messed up. You shouldn't have. It's your job. Do it. But also, I, I kind of wonder too. It's just like I mean, if they really were just if they were just in the tank for Oregon, why why weren't there any other egregious calls throughout the rest of the game either? Well, like why did? How did the official crew let OU get up by multiple scores? 
well, uh, what's the saying? When OU plays Texas, they got to be at least 10 points better than Texas because of the refs. Well, you know, Oklahoma, they got to be at least 35 points. No, it doesn't make sense. Uh, I think it tells you, uh, I think it tells you all you need to know about the current state of the, uh, of, of bowl games and college football that going into this game, this is by far the most interesting story from OU's perspective, I think, going in. <laughs> that 15 years later, maybe they're finally going to be able to get revenge for this game. <laughs> um, I'm saying, like, that's... Hey, I like, I'm... The people who come out and say, like, the you know, that say there are not too many bowl games, and, like, you know, I who cares? If you don't like it, just don't watch. That's fine. Like, I agree with that logic for sure. But would anybody be able to admit that the fact that this is really the only storyline that we can kind of dig out of this game is kind of like maybe that is a little bit of evidence that college football, especially the bowl system, that we ha- is not super healthy? Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, it's the Oregon OU thing. And then it's it's even – I mean, that would exist – if Lincoln Riley wouldn't have left, but it's even more uh, on the forefront because Bob Stoops is going to be coaching a game again. And uh, I'll just get to right now. You mentioned the, the 80% thing. You're right. I mean, uh, Bob Stoops can get, can get this win over Oregon to up his career winning percentage over 80%, I believe is what the math would be. And not only that, a win over Oregon in the Alamo Bowl would also give Bob Stoops a career winning record in bowl games in general currently he's nine and nine he's at 500 so all we're trying to say here is go to your bookie and go just hammer home oklahoma get people i mean if the, if there's any college football gods out there <laughs> they got to be on oklahoma right? yeah you know i mean it's i don't know i mean like it's i'm one of those guys who it's like yeah it's like it's it's kind of surprising to me that OU and Oregon have not played since then. This is going to be the first time that they've played since then. Um, that surprises me. I, um, it's just so hard because every like everyone who is playing in this game was like three years old when that happened, and like th- between three and six years old when that happened. So there's just not going to be. So it is more of just kind of a fans thing, which is fine. Like I mean, fans are are, are a part of it. Like they're part of the whole college football experience. Um, I just, it's, it's just not going to be a factor in the game whatsoever. It's, it it really is just a narrative thing for us to talk about, for us old people to talk about, which is fun for us. But like I said, I I mean, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think Jeremiah Hall or Caleb Williams or whatever is going to be like, oh God, it's time, time to get revenge for 2006 on these bastards. Yeah, no, that's, that's kind of the funny thing is that all these guys playing in this game, they, they, I mean, they could like smile and nod along. Oh yeah, totally. Like. But they don't care. <laughs> they don't. This this happened when they were small children. They don't. They don't care. Like yeah, maybe they've seen highlights or they'll like like oh man, that's crazy. But like let's be real. They they weren't really. I mean, they were barely alive when it happened. They don't care. But you know, hopefully uh, they you know they they know that Bob Stoops is on the sidelines there, and they think ah eh, you know that that'd be kind of cool to get to get Coach Bob get get Bob another win you know and that'd be so I mean and they're they're gonna be thinking that anyways the fact that Bob Stoops is the interim coach if it wasn't Oregon if it was somebody else they'd still feel the same way like oh man we got to get Bob a win that'd be cool but yes it's definitely a narrative for us to talk about like I do think yeah I mean I think there's I think there's definitely a reality where these guys are super fired up to play the game anyway like there's there's definitely a part of me that thinks there's especially after how Riley left and all of that 
I mean, there, there's got to be a, a not there's got to be a pretty significant group of guys in that locker room who are ready to get out there and kind of, you know, kind of beat someone down. I would think. Um, and so that's that's kind of what you're hoping. And I, actually, I, I think I think OU the guys who are going to be there, I think they're going to come out ready to play. I, I think it's like I'm not I'm not super worried about that. If they didn't want to play in the game, I mean, you can opt out, and it's just like I mean, you're kind of praised for opting out these days, so <laughs> um, you're not really losing anything f- from it. But um, so no, I it's yeah, it's like this is always one of it's with the bowl games. It's all you know who is who is actually going to care more, who's going to show up. Yeah, it's it's pretty easy for me to talk myself into OU being pretty excited to play this game. Um, where it, but you know, we're super close to the program. Where it comes down to it, like, is Oregon going to be excited? I I don't know. I mean, they could be. It's possible that Oregon's super fired up. Um, it's uh, it's it's going to be fun. I you know, it's there's this is definitely one of those games where you do kind of have to pick out the novelties of it to maybe get yourself more excited, especially a week out. Like I'm sure on game day. I'm just going to be ready to watch OU football. Um, and, and the circumstances surrounding it, probably I'm not going to care about too much. Um, but no, I mean, the Bob being back, the 2006 debacle is interesting to me. I think, I think the, the storyline of just of two teams without head coaches right now co- is, or, I mean, they, they have head coaches, but not coaching in this game. I think that's interesting. Um, and also just for me personally, I just, you know, Oregon is, is probably outside of LSU is probably the program that I respect the least in college football. Um, because I think they, I, I think they squander a lot of the advantages that they have through their Nike, through their Nike money. Um, and a lot of that is, a lot of that is me just because they had Justin Herbert, who is clearly awesome. And their offense was just downright mediocre, basically every single season that he was there. Um, I'm rambling at this point in time, Lee. Please come okay, in and save great. me. Okay, yeah. Well, we're going to talk about Alamo Bowl here coming up. But first, before we get to that, I, I do want to talk about Caleb Williams a little bit. So we're recording this on December 22nd, and you know, we still don't know for sure if he's coming back to Oklahoma. And, you know, my question is, like, should at this point, should we be of the mind that Caleb Williams is returning to Oklahoma? Or since we do not know for sure yet what his intentions are what he wants to do should that be concerning and should we be thinking that maybe he's not going to going to return to Oklahoma and so I have some thoughts on this Grant uh so I I will say this and I have heard some rumblings and I know I talked a little bit about, about this in the opening take about how you know you know maybe since it's been so long that he's still trying to make up his mind I will say I have heard rumblings that Caleb Williams is still not fully uh, has still not fully made up his mind yet. And with Oklahoma giving the team a few days off here before Christmas here this week, this could be the time where Caleb goes home. He talks with his family. uh, Maybe he clears his head a little bit. And, you know, who knows? Maybe that's when he'll come to his decision. Maybe he'll make it. And. Uh, I know the guys were given off Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of this week. We're recording this on the Wednesday of this week, so they're off again tomorrow. And then they're going to get back together and fly to San Antonio on Friday the 24th. And I'm not saying that we're going to know anything concrete or definitive by the end of the week. That's not what I'm saying. I want to make that clear. I'm just laying out that the timeline here before Oklahoma heads to San Antonio uh, that's what the timeline is. And then they're, they're having a few days off before they're going to get together and leave on the 24th. 
and that I've heard some rumblings that Caleb still has not fully made up his mind. Uh, that's all I'm comfortable saying at this point in regards to what I've heard about Caleb Williams. Anything else I say the rest of the podcast is going to be just me totally opining and speculating just like we like to do on podcasts, which leads me to this. At this time, I would guess that it's more likely than not that Caleb Williams is going to return to Oklahoma in 2022. But again, that's only an educated guess on my part based off of the situation he's in and based off of me being on the outside looking in. Uh, Although I will admit, though, Grant, that it is a bit troublesome that I have heard at this time that Williams has not fully made up his mind. So where do you stand at, at this point when it comes to Caleb Williams? I'm still waiting. Um, I'm, not, I'm not assuming one way or the other. I do think if he ends up leaving, I don't think he's going to play in the bowl game. Um, I, think, I think if he's going to leave, that's something we're going to find out the morning of the bowl game and that he's opting out and he's, he's entering the transfer portal. Um, at least I, I hope that's the case. If, he's, if he leaves, he really, really should not play in the bowl game. Um, that it just, and so that's kind of what, that's, that's what leads me to believe that it's more likely than not he comes back just because it, it doesn't make any sense at this point at all. And, and I know like at this point in time, if he were to choose to leave, it would be because he just doesn't really want to be here. Um, because I, I, I'm, there are no better situations in the country right now. Um, unless Ohio state is going to, is, is going to bench CJ Stroud for Caleb Williams. I, I don't so so I, I just I really genuinely have no clue what else he would do. So I was trying to think and again, this is all speculation, just what I know about college football and just the, the landscape of everything. I was trying to think like, okay, let's say he does leave at this point, what are his transfer options? So I, I think he's a guy he could, he could transfer pretty much anywhere, right? Uh, but you mentioned Ohio State, probably not them. Uh, I mean, Ohio State and Alabama would be the two places that they would presumably be like, no, nah, I mean, no, we have the Heisman Trophy winner and yeah, the, the runner up. And I mean, if he's like, what is he trying to accomplish by transferring? Is, is he like, let's think of this team wise, like Oklahoma in the next two years while Caleb Williams is going to be the quarterback. OK, OU is not likely to compete for a national championship just based off of what we know, the history I mean, sure, they could be in contention maybe for a playoff spot, but like they're just not. We just, from what we've seen, they're just, they're not truly in contention for a national title. But I mean, for example, neither is USC where Lincoln Riley just went. I mean, and objectively, Oklahoma's odds to win a title either next year or the year after that, they got to be better than USC's just based on the talent in each program and, and all the work that Riley's got to have to do there. So, I mean, Caleb Williams would be, let's say he, if he went to USC, which would make a lot of people mad around here. <laughs> I'm starting to think, I'm starting to think if he leaves, that's the most likely. Um, because, right, I mean, what, you can, you can say that he came to OU because he wanted to be developed by Lincoln right. Riley. Right. And so he goes, to, so like, what else would it be? So, I mean, his, his whole big thing that, then at that point would just be his career, right? And for himself, because like. Because he knows Lincoln Riley has developed Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, put Jalen Hurts in a great spot to get drafted higher than he otherwise would have been getting drafted. But then my, my counter to Caleb Williams thinking, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to go and, and Lincoln Riley's going to develop me and, and put me in the best position possible to get drafted as high as possible. My counter to him would be, 
Spencer Rattler. Spencer Rattler just regressed. He's a guy that put his trust into Lincoln Riley, and Lincoln Riley got him playing pretty darn good football in 2020, one of the best quarterbacks in college football a season ago. And then in 2021, we saw a different player. And whether that's, you know, the, you know how much fault is that of Spencer Rattler? How much fault of that is Lincoln Riley? Uh, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know the weight to with which you have to distribute that. Uh, certainly, each guy deserves some fault. Absolutely. I mean, one's a coach. One's a quarterback guy. One is the actual guy. Uh, also, how much fault goes to maybe Spencer Rattler's quarterback coach personally? Because I think he has one. I don't know. I mean, who knows? But that would be my counter, though, to Caleb Williams. Like, yeah, sure. Like, Riley has a great track record, but the guy before him, you took his job. You know, are you confident that at USC, when he's trying to rebuild the program, there's not as much talent in the next two years that he, that he can put his focus on you and develop you enough the next two years to make you as good as you possibly can be? Maybe. Maybe, but... It's more of a risk today than it would have been a month and a half ago or a month ago or whatever, right? And that's, yeah, I mean, this is what, this is why I keep coming back to if he decides to leave, it's because he doesn't want to be in Oklahoma. I mean, that's, that's why. It's because, like, I mean, if he, if he comes back, he will, I mean, he is already kind of in legend status. People are already going to love him. He is going to be, and I, this is, this is going to sound hyperbolic, but I think this is absolutely true. He is going to be the most famous person in the state of Oklahoma. He is going to make a lot of money on NIL deals. Um, and he's also going, he'd also be coached by the guy who, who potentially is going to have the, the first quarterback taken in this upcoming draft. Um, a guy who coordinated offenses that have been better than Lincoln Riley's the last two seasons. Um, he's, got, he's got receivers coming back that he's familiar with, that he's thrown, with, that he's thrown to. And he would also come back to, if he were to come back, easily the, the Big 12 favorite coming into the, the 2022 season. I just, this is, go pros and cons, and if you're just looking at it from a pure football standpoint, pure opportunity standpoint, it's no, it's no choice. I mean, staying here is by far his best option. And so it would come down to personal preference. Does he want to be here? Does he feel like being here? And if he says, and if he if he transfers, it's a, that's a very emphatic no. He does not want to be. Okay, so I, I'm with you. I agree with all of that you just said. Everything you just said there, I totally agree with Jeff Lebby. Um, yeah, all of it. Let me put this out there though for you. I haven't heard anybody bring this up, and maybe there's a reason why. And you can set me straight, and you can explain to me why this potential destination has not come up when thinking of where could Caleb Williams transfer if he wanted to go. What about Georgia? Stetson Bennett, he's going to be leaving. Uh, JT Daniels, do you think? I mean, Caleb Williams would be pretty comfortable battling out with JT Daniels, probably. Uh, I mean, the, I mean, Georgia is a national title contender more so than Oklahoma. Great defense. Uh, here's the thing, though, with Georgia, they're not necessarily known as a quarterback factory. So his development, uh, his own personal development. He's risking that, going to somewhere like that there, right? Because it's been 12 years since Matthew Stafford was taken first overall. Uh, like, but uh, have you thought about Georgia? So I think, no, I haven't. The other, the other school I, that pops in my head that I thought maybe is Michigan. Um, but 
but then you're you're kind of running into the same problem there. A a run like a very run centric system. Um, the only scalp on Harbaugh's wall is Andrew Luck, and I mean I he hasn't really done any anything with anyone else since then. Um, Georgia's interesting. It's really interesting. I think I think a lot of people probably haven't thought of Georgia just because they got Brock Vandegrift. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, that's who right. was? But Caleb Williams is very likely better than Brock Vandegrift. Um, that'd be super interesting. I mean, that would definitely be a situation if that were to happen. <laughs> Levy would need to get on the phone instantly and get Brock Vandegrift oh, here. Oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and here's the thing with Georgia. Like, this is not the Georgia of even like three or four or five years ago. I mean, remember, uh, they have Todd Munkin as their OC who has been in the NFL. Uh, he He probably is a guy that would be happy to spread it out and do more more if he can i mean i i think Stetson bennett's numbers even this year are, are pretty good i mean he's able like i know they don't they don't throw it all the time but they throw it a decent amount and you put a guy in there like caleb williams todd munkin's a guy that would be like okay yeah let's let's utilize this and make this work so but yeah i totally forgot about vandegrift but yeah i, I mean vandegrift we haven't seen him i mean caleb williams has already kind of proven himself vandegrift Think of it this way. Caleb Williams beat out Spencer Rattler, took his job. Spencer Rattler was one of the Heisman, the Heisman favorite. Vandegriff, uh, JT Daniels got hurt, and then he couldn't beat out Stetson Bennett? Stetson Bennett was, like, pretty outstanding this year for the most part and, like, what they asked do you him think, to do. Yeah, okay. I mean, so then again, he had seniority, so he probably got the first crack, and he didn't mess up, therefore... He didn't. He didn't mess up and like. I mean, go look. I mean, go go look at his his yards per attempt. Like, I mean, his. I mean, he 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 hit a bunch of huge passes this year. Okay, so it's a different situation where uh, there's multiple quarterbacks in that room, and it wasn't a situation where it would be either Rattler or Williams, and you know the the sign of yeah. man. Who knows? Who knows how much Kirby Smart is 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 kind of kneecapping his offensive coordinator too. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Kirby is definitely more of a now nah, we're gonna we're gonna run the ball and we're gonna control both lines of scrimmage type of guy. Because um, I'll be I'll be honest with you, like I've every time I've watched Georgia this year, I've been pretty impressed with Stetson Bennett. Yeah, no, he has good. Like, he has he's, good numbers. he's been good. He this has year. good numbers. You're, you're right. I mean, he's he's thrown for you know twenty three hundred yards. He's averaging over ten yards per attempt. That's that's outstanding. Like it was like I'm sorry like. The reason Georgia lost in the SEC title game was because of their defense. <laughs> Stetson Bennett was like Bennett was like I, I would if I'm a Georgia fan, I forgive Stetson Bennett for not being as good as Bryce Young. Completely. Yeah. Is their defense that lost in that game? They what Georgia scored like twenty seven points in that game? For I mean, for for how their defense have been playing all season, that's plenty. That's plenty. Okay, so that's all I have on Caleb Williams. Uh, you and I were on the same page. Uh, I, all I know is that I, I have heard, like I said again, I have heard, I have heard that he he's not he has not made up his mind yet, and that it's there's a chance that these days at home, going back home and being with his family, that that could help him come to some sort of conclusion, some sort of result or decision. I guess is a better word. When we will find out? When will we know? I don't know. I mean, best case scenario, I think, is like. I don't know if we're going to get a chance to talk to him before the bowl game. Uh, I know normally before bowl games, everybody is supposed to be available. But I don't know if that's the case maybe in non-New Year's Six bowl games. Uh, I'm, I'm going to the game. As All I know right now about media day 
and I'm hoping this changes or there's more details afoot. But all I know about the OU Oregon Media Day, it, it's going to be this uh, Sunday, upcoming Sunday, and all they've told us is that six players from each team will be available. And normally, from what I understand on, on big bowl game media days, literally everybody's available. And so, like, in the past, like, you know, Lincoln Riley and Bob Stoops have had rules where certain guys can't talk, but on media day, they have to make them available. So I don't know if that's going to be the case. And if we can't talk to Caleb Williams before the game, I guess, I mean, if you know, hopefully he plays in the game, maybe then they'll give, him, they'll give Caleb Williams to us afterwards, and then maybe after the game we can final, somebody will finally ask him, hey, what are you doing next year? Or what are your plans? And then we can get an answer. Uh, because I know he, he was on that podcast with Jeremiah Hall and Braden Willis. And it, it would seem that there was no definitive answer from, from that podcast uh, either way. So who knows, man? Who knows? And it sucks. Like, hey, I mean, he's a young kid who is... Like, you're trying to, trying to figure out what's going through his mind. I just... I'm sorry. Even if he hasn't made up his mind... He's got to be leaning one way or the other. I don't. I mean, if you're leaning towards leaving, why on earth would you go on that podcast? I mean, they had, and they had to jump through some hoops to get onto that thing too. Just kind of read between the lines. OU compliance had to screen that thing before it went I on. Know. I saw that the Hall's tweet about, oh, sorry, we have a delay and upload, and then he kind of hinted at OU compliance or something like that. Man, I I think you made that there's comment. Some, I guess yeah, people. Yeah. People were pointing out, too, that there's some jump cuts in it, too, where it makes it pretty obvious that there was some stuff that was edited out. So uh, it's I just that doesn't make any sense to me. And like I it's if if you are leaning towards leaving and you have still showed up and you've been around all of your teammates, that is more disrespectful to those guys than you just leaving. It really, really is. So I was saying in my take, man, I mean. If he's thinking that, hey, I got to play the season out, I made a commitment to my guys to play the full season, my thing is like, okay, you play that bowl game, but, but then you leave those guys that you, were, that you were trying to make right and you know, stick with because you know, it's your word to play in the game. If you left after that, man, they're going to be more, more mad, mad with you than if you would have just left before the bowl game, right? I, I just, I'm, I'm not sure. I think it, it feels like a lot of players kind of support each yeah, other and, and like in a lot of those regards. I, I like I'm not sure I'm just I, I'm I'm saying it just from like fr- from somebody who has coached from somebody who is like who is who has like led a locker room before of guys I'm just I'm just saying if he's if if he is leaning towards leaving and still doing this what he's doing is not really that different than what Lincoln Riley was doing uh. one, one foot out the door not it really is not that different so I you know yeah I used the word mad a second ago. I think maybe disappointed is probably a more precise way to put it. Mad, mad's too strong. Uh, disappointed or, you know, yeah, I think that's a better way to put it. People, more guys. And I'm just trying to put my, myself in the player's shoes. And for all we know about Caleb Williams, everyone likes him. I mean, that was a big thing, right? Like, he gets along with everybody. So no matter what he decides to do, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of players on that team that are going to be cool with him either way. Uh, so that's why I'm going to say disappointed, you know, because – Obviously, these guys that are staying there are going to be at Oklahoma would, I'm sure, prefer to play with Caleb Williams at OU. So I don't know if anybody's going to be mad if he left, but I think maybe like disappointed is probably a better way to put it. So we'll find out. We'll see. Especially after the other guys have already, like Rattler and Stogner, those guys, I mean, those guys already took care of it. And it's just like, it's, we can move on. It's like, okay, they're moving on. That's okay. And, you know, it's like you wish them well at their next stop. But like they did the right thing by pulling the plug. Yeah, 
Stogner it's, and Hazelwood. Sorry, it's like it's 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 always better to pull the plug early. And I just I'm and maybe maybe I'm just I'm so just sort of divorced from like a good like decision making ritual or process or whatever. I just don't believe for a freaking second he hasn't made up his mind yet. That's BS. That's <laughs> just that's not a thing. I'm sorry. Well, I kind of believe it because he's a kid, and I mean, kids are not as experienced as us, and we're not as experienced as people that are in their fifties or sixties or seventies. You know, if you're blessed enough to get that far. So, I mean, I I, I kind of believe. I, I I buy it. I mean, when you're eighteen, nineteen years old, uh, I mean, it's a lot. Sometimes it's it's easier to not make a decision. Obviously, to to waffle. <laughs> Because uh, it's hard to then just make that call. Yeah, but like also, I mean, it's. I think there's one thing. It, there's he has to be feeling. He's got to feel the pull one way or the other, and and maybe it's like maybe it's his parents sure. are saying no. Take your time. Go through the decision making process, which which may be the correct advice in that situation. Um, they're they're treating it seriously, like obviously, but it's. I know Teddy Lehman kind of made this uh, made this comment on one of their last podcasts, but he made the comment that part of this is kind of it's 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 similar to him de facto holding the team hostage, and I think the rhetoric there is definitely strong, but it's hard to disagree with it because if yeah, people if, I mean, if if dudes yeah. if if dudes on the team still don't know if if the coaching staff for next season still doesn't know he is holding them hostage. And that's that's wrong. That is wrong. Well, it's regardless of regardless of, of of what of what your decision process is, you're like you're still screwing someone over. See, and that's I, I'd I'd have an issue with calling it wrong using that word because it it's not necessarily right or wrong. It just is, and this is his thing. And so, like, what is what is a big thing about just life in general? A lot of times, you hear like you got to do what's best for yourself. You know, like. You, you, you can't you can't always think of somebody else and I, I get that it would be better if he doesn't do this but it's not necessarily wrong it's just this is his process and I at least from my perspective I can't call it right or wrong it just it's disappointing it, it sucks that it has to be this way it's not going to be a big deal if he uh, if he stays obviously but yes that's what I said in the opening take though if he does leave you're, you're putting Oklahoma in a, in a really tough spot and there are you brought it up a moment ago. There are some weird, eerie, you know, similarities to Lincoln Riley because you're you're leaving the team in a spot where they're not gonna, you know, they got to make a decision quickly. And in this situation, quarterback wise, the transfer portal prospects are gonna be dried up. I mean, the guy they were gonna go after most likely, Dylan Gabriel, is not available anymore. <laughs> and yeah, and so that's what I and like I know like and on the the Gabe and Teddy podcast too, they they were kind of bringing it up that. That if Caleb was still were still to leave, that they're still pretty comfortable that it would be Dylan Gabriel, and then I have to bring up, but what if it's not that easy? What if like OU really is just kind of SOL in in that in that regard? Um, and th- like that's that's that would upset me. That's BS. And so well, it's yeah, it, it certainly wouldn't be great. Good on you. I think it's I th- I think you saying that him quote unquote holding them hostage is not good or bad it's he's just doing what's best for him when doing what is best for you is holding up an entire institution full of other human beings whose futures do kind of really do have a lot to do with your decision then i am pretty comfortable with saying that that's wrong 
especially when other people in a similar situation that he's been in have already made those decisions. Okay, no, and that's that's fair. I get that. Uh, I'm just not comfortable calling it right or wrong because it's not it's not my decision. It's it's his thing, and he doesn't. In my opinion, he doesn't necessarily have to take into account everybody else's situation, especially after the guy that you know he he came to play for out of nowhere just left. And so, even though I do think there's enough information out there for him to have already made a decision. I still don't think it's necessarily wrong for him to not have made a decision one way or the other, just because I, I'd like to think if I was in the same spot, I would hope that people would, would kind of try to understand as best as possible. And that's kind of what I'm, I'm trying to extend that to this kid as best as I can. So, uh, yeah. And I, I, I think, I think that's a fine way of looking at it. I just, yeah, I'm, I'm coming at it more from a being an institutionalist and just, it's, Man, just like crap or get off the pot. You need to. There is a, like seriously. I mean, there is a, there is a, a, a multi million dollar organization that is that is really like kind of dependent on having successful foot like football seasons. That is definitely hanging in the balance with your decision right now. And they need to. They need to. If if he's gonna leave, they need to be able to do something about it. See, so I, it's I, 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 a big reason. And, and right. Caleb, like Caleb Williams, I guess doesn't have to care about that if he doesn't want to. But if he doesn't care about that, then I'm sorry, those are some other red flags. No, I, I think it's not. I'm sure he, he, whether he cares or doesn't care, I just think it really comes down to his age and his his experience level as a human being. If he was an adult, uh, okay, he is an adult. He's an adult, and you're a college kid. You're an adult. If he was in his late 20s 30s 40s 50s and he was still kind of indecisive in this situation then i would have more of a problem with it i guess i'm just i'm the fact that he's a young guy and i just know when you're younger you just you don't you don't see things as clearly and then normally what i say is like well it's up to his parents his advisors to make sure that he understands this stuff and maybe they are maybe they have made that clear to him and he's still waiting and waiting and waiting uh i I guess that's another thing i i just his age is also another reason why I'm giving him a little bit or cutting him a little bit more slack than I otherwise would have if he was if he was older and had more life experience. I guess my and so why why I come at it from an institutionalist, I guess my feeling at this point in time is and this is big for me. There's just no there's not a single person bigger than the program and how he's handling this right now. He's kind of big timing. OU, just a little bit, just a little bit, especially like if there's. If, if, if there is like an inch of doubt whether or not he's going to come back, like if it, it, it'd be one thing if he just hasn't announced something and it's like and it's common knowledge in the locker room that he's coming back. But if it's like but if you're still hearing on your end that he hasn't made up his mind yet, that presumably means there's dudes in that lock, the dudes in the locker room and the coaching staff don't know either. And I'm sorry, dude, you're not like I want I want Caleb Williams to come back. Uh, one because I, I really like him as a player. I really like him as a leader. And I think he's I think he's great for for. OU's football program and I also think he gives them a much better chance of getting to an elite level immediately next season OU is going to get to that elite level with or without him eventually it may not be next season but they will and I'm just saying he's not bigger than the program and if he's not all the way in step aside and and let it like let OU move on okay I'm with you let's move over to the Alamo Bowl and talk about as much about this as we possibly can right now, given the scenario. So this might be the last time we have to talk about the game before kickoff, because I'm going to be going to San Antonio, as I mentioned, to help cover the game for News 9 in Oklahoma City. 
So that means I'll be busy all next week leading up to the, the game on Wednesday. Now, there is a chance that I could get away and record one final podcast before the game. And if so, that would likely be either Monday night or Tuesday night. Uh, probably, you know, I, I prefer Tuesday if possible, just because, you know, we're, we're a day before the game. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. Uh, that's TBD. So with that in mind, like with this being the definition of an exhibition type game, it's, it's not going to be useful for us to dive super deep into the X's and O's from each team. But I do think it's kind of interesting to attack this game at this point from the perspective of who's in and who's out. So I'll recap. For Oklahoma, we talked about at the very top of the show, guys are out of the game. Benito, Winfrey, Asamoah, Thomas on defense, on offense, Rattler, Stogner, Hazelwood. And I also saw a report out there that Jamal Morris, you know, the, the backup linebacker, D-back, wherever he was playing, that he's in the transfer portal. So if that's true, Jamal Morris, uh, if he's still looking to transfer, then, then he's another guy who's out on defense. And as for Oregon, uh, the Ducks are without three opt-outs. Uh, I guess Oklahoma has four. Oregon has three. Uh, star defensive end Kayvon Thibodeau, corner uh, Michael Wright or Mikhail Wright, however you pronounce his name, and wide receiver Devin Williams are all going to be out of the game. Also, one starting corner has entered the transfer portal. That's DJ James. And a backup defensive tackle, Jason Jones, has also entered the transfer portal. So three defensive starters are out. One defensive backup is out. And one starting wide receiver is out. And so the question is, like, I, I know we're not experts on Oregon, uh, but I'll ask from an Oklahoma perspective, Grant. Are you comfortable where Oklahoma is right now roster-wise going into this bowl game? I kind of am, actually, yeah. Um, one, because it looks like, I mean, they're, they're essentially going to have their full offense, um, available to them, which is nice. Um, I mean, minus Jaden Hazelwood and, and Stogner and, or <laughs> I almost said the corpse of Austin Stogner. Um, he looks, he, he looks good in Bedlam. We'll, we'll, we'll give him credit for that. Um, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like, uh, Benito and Thomas and Winfrey not playing is a, is, is not kind of a, a pretty big loss. It is. Nick Benito is, you know, is probably just the best player on the team in general. Um, Isaiah Thomas is probably the second best player on the team in general. Um, I don't know how that really compares to the likely number one pick in the NFL draft next season being out for Oregon. Um, I don't know because Kayvon, like Kayvon Thibodeau, right, wasn't wasn't super super productive in his career at Oregon, so. I, I can't really begin to tell you how much he impacted that defense, um, but I don't know. Like I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Like I don't think OU's this. Is, I guess this is one of the the positives of of OU um, rotating so much during the year. Whereas, like I don't think it's I don't think a starting defensive line of Isaiah Coe, Jalen Redmond, and Reggie Grimes is bad. Like I think they're I think they can get by okay with that. To be honest with you. Yeah. No. I'm I'm the same, and it's it's more of. It's Benito gonna, being out's the biggest loss. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I'm I'm with you. I, I'm I'm comfortable with it. Uh, we've seen a lot of these players play. Uh, those three guys you mentioned are the starting defensive linemen. The the starting Mike Backer is on the depth chart. Is David Aguebu, Deshaun White at will, and the rush linebacker without Benito is Marcus Stripling at the top. Uh, that is Stripling, Brendan Walker, Clayton Smith. Those are the top three there. And then in the defensive backfield, I mean, everyone's everyone's supposed to be there for, for OU. So uh, that's interesting. 
also what's interesting is the fact that Brian Odom is back and he's going to be the one that's going to be calling the plays. So, you know, I think last episode, maybe we were talking like, we're like, I'm not so sure. I don't know if Brian Odom is a, is a great or good linebackers coach. I don't know. I just don't know because the, the linebackers kind of seem to take a step back this year. Maybe we're going to find, I'm kind of curious to see somebody else call speed D other than Alex Grinch. I don't know if we're going to be able to tell a big difference or not on the naked eye, but I don't know, Grant, like this is one of those things where I don't really know what to expect, but I'm just curious to see what happens with somebody else calling the plays and not Alex Grinch. Does this interest you at all? Yeah, it does. No, like that entire storyline with the offense and the defense is interesting to me uh, with, with the play callers. I, you know, I, I highly doubt it's going to look super different. It's not like they, they didn't have a ton of variation, you know, pre-snap to pre-snap anyway, you know? So I, I, I think it's going to be just a lot of what we've seen. It wouldn't surprise me, and I know we're talking about the defense right now, but it wouldn't surprise me if we see a, a, a lot different script like on offense. Um, but defense, I, I think, is going to be pretty pretty vanilla. Um, it's going to be about you know letting the guys probably run around and just tackle. Um, yeah. I don't I don't think we're going to see anything crazy on the defensive side, but yeah, I mean I'm 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 interested to see how like what their motivation level is, how hard they play. Um, I mean, I, I got to think that the defensive line is going to play their butts off because these are guys, I mean, these are guys who are pretty much all coming back next season. Um, guys like Reggie Grimes and Isaiah Coe, I mean, they're going to be starting this game for the first time, really. They're going to be starters for the, I'm sure they're going to be fired up, ready to go. Um, so, no, I mean, this is, I've, I've kind of started to talk myself into to feeling pretty good about this game. Um, I just think, because like even even when you strip away those those four guys who are opting out on defense, it's kind of a good thing, right? That you look at OU's too deep and you think to yourself, man, for for four starters on their defensive front opting out, I don't feel that bad about the guys that they got going in there <laughs> yeah. for the most part. Yeah. And and like let's be real, I mean, there's a there's a massive massive drop off uh, from from Nick Benito to to Marcus Stripling. I don't like in terms of consistency. I don't really think there is a massive drop off from Perry and Winfrey to Isaiah Coe. Um, I think Jalen Redmond is arguably their second best defensive player anyway, who is going to play in the game. It sounds like um, if we haven't heard otherwise. Yeah. And then we, I mean, everyone kind of knows how you and I feel about right. We think Reggie Grimes can be like a really good player for OU. Um, and that's not that's not even to mention. Uh, Ethan Downs, who I thought whenever he played this year was really impressive, was really good, and you got to think we'll see him a lot more uh, in, in this upcoming game too. So, no, I think I think OU is going to be okay in this regard. Um, we'll see. I obviously it depends a lot on what Oregon's is is going to try to do. I totally suspect we're going to see a lot, a lot of the QB run game um, from Oregon. We'll see. I don't know. We'll, we'll see how much they rep that, how much they how much they prepare for it. But I don't know. I it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me at all if we see kind of a a surprisingly very good defensive performance from OU, especially with an Oregon team that their that wide receiver was opting out was by far their leading receiver, their number one receiver. They don't really throw the ball that well to begin with. Um, and it's it, it when you kind of remove that receiver and you you know you have. Uh, their quarterback and the running back die. I mean, it's it's essentially just kind of a one-two guy. I mean, their their entire offense is going to be their quarterback and their runner and their running back. I mean, that's that's essentially it. Running the ball, 
Yeah, um, they. Uh, yeah, very interesting. Definitely, like reading some of the reports on Oregon, it sounds like uh, they're super thin at two two positions. They're super thin at wide receiver, and they're super thin at corner. And you mentioned you know, that starting wide receiver is out. I know they've lost some others, maybe to the portal or to injuries. And then at you know corner, they both their starters are out. So that could be you know maybe it's a a good day for some of Oklahoma's wide receivers. Maybe uh, with with somebody. I mean, this will be the first time we're seeing somebody other than Lincoln Riley call the plays. Kale Gundy will be calling the plays. Uh, that's fascinating to see what kind of offense they run. I know you kind of hinted at that a little bit. I'm excited on that one. Yeah, I, I mean, geez, like I, this is there's a lot of really interesting storylines just based on the unknown. Um, it, it just it seems like again we're closer to Oklahoma than Oregon, obviously, but I mean there's a lot of things moving in the direction of looking really good for OU, and, and another one of those is uh, both the head coaches of these games. Obviously, both interim head coaches. Uh, Bob Stoops is just is hanging out, man. I mean, Bob Stoops is Bob Stoops. He's not trying to take a job somewhere else. He's not leaving. He's he's Oklahoma. Bob Stoops is happy to be here. Looks like he's best buds with Brent Venables. I mean, they're they're in a great spot right now. Meanwhile, Oregon's interim head coach Brian McClendon. It seems like he could be he could be pretty distracted going into this game. Uh, earlier this week, he was asked about reports that he was going to go and join Mario Cristobal in Miami, and he didn't confirm. And he didn't deny those reports. And I, I saw randomly uh, there was a writer for an Arizona Wildcats website. He tweeted out a screenshot that showed that McClendon was listed on Miami's directory, the, the university directory, as an assistant coach. And again, he didn't either like deny or confirm that. And I, I did have a quote. Uh, I, I did want to read a quote from Brian McClendon, the Oregon interim head coach. And uh, <laughs> I read this quote in my and I'm going to go ahead and just like lead, lead the witness here, but I'll just give you my, my thoughts on this quote before I read it. I read this quote and I thought, yeah, uh, he's definitely going to Miami. Like, listen to this quote. Brian McClendon said, quote, I don't know how much is out there is actually true, to be honest with you. McClendon said Monday following Oregon's final on-campus practice for the Alamo Bowl. He continued, quote, the frustrating thing about it and disappointing thing about it is regardless of how some stuff came up, which I still don't know how that happened until this point, I think everything did get rectified in that sense. The thing that's frustrating, though, is I haven't even thought about it as much as some of the other people have. My focus has been on these guys. He continued, quote, it's not right for those guys for my focus to be other places, so I haven't done it. It's not right quite honestly, for my family to try to make a family decision while my focus is on the guys right now. I feel like anything that's out there right now, it did not come from me. And I would, not to sit up here and say one way or another, but it did not come from me. However, all that stuff came out there. I think it got rectified, and I do look forward to being able to make those decisions. I just feel like it'll be a hard decision to make right now while my focus is solely on these guys and making sure that these guys have a positive influence. I don't want to cheat them. I don't want to make a bad decision for my family because my focus is so much on these guys right now, end quote. I, I'm, I'm sorry that <laughs> I kind of started breaking there at the end because that was so much word salad, so ridiculous that he might as well just said, yeah, I'm going to Miami, guys. Okay, it's over. <laughs> um. I'm sorry if if he is in Miami's staff directory and had no other prior connections to Miami, that's about as definitive as one can possibly be. I, I like I 
and I know like you're you're a journalism guy. You can't just go out and say like, yeah, this guy's a coach at Miami. But I'm gonna go out and say it. This guy's a coach at Miami. <laughs> like it's it's. Yeah. But also also though, in terms of like digging for like a narrative here or storyline, I think I think you're kind of stretch. You're I think you're kind of stretching a little bit. Um, because I, f- I feel like, oh, I mean, that same logic applies to OU as well with Brian Odom and Calvin Thibodeau and Jamar Kane. Um, I think on game day, I think this guy's focus is going to be entirely on the game. Um, and I don't know, may- maybe we should give this guy a little more credit. Maybe he's not a great communicator to the press when he's trying to deflect on him obviously going to <laughs> Miami. But I don't know, maybe we can maybe we can give him some some credit and say that maybe he actually is able to kind of prioritize and and focus mostly on these kids that he's currently coaching, um, because like I because I think that's the case with the three OU guys that are coming back. I like I I'm under the impression that Odom and Thibodeau and Kane are probably really excited to coach their guys for one last time. Yeah, um, no, I I share, and, and I'm sure I'm sure that's I'm sure that's the same thing for McClendon as well right now no I yes I, I share the I share most of what you said that the difference is that uh, this guy is the interim head coach I mean he's kind of like in charge of everything whereas OU's interim head coach is Bob Stoops and he's got it while the other guys just are still just doing position coach stuff like that they normally would have done and again maybe this is an example of us being closer to Oklahoma than Oregon you know as far as as far as I know or we know maybe maybe this McClendon guy is is in the same boat as a guy like uh, Jamar Kane or Thibodeau or Odom where they just they love their guys and they can't wait to go out there and he's doing everything he can and maybe you're right he just isn't very good at deflecting questions from the media and that, that could be the case my, my whole point is that I'm looking for I'm looking for reasons why Oklahoma could be more prepared and ready to go and could be more of a chance to beat Oregon and that was one of them that identified that identi- that I identified is the the head coach differences there uh, because, you know, Bob Stoops is not going to be distracted by anything. He's happy, and Bob Stoops is going to be way more into wanting to win this game, I bet, than Oregon's interim head coach, who's, as far as, I'm, as, far as I know, has never been a head coach before. Maybe he has, but, I mean, Bob Stoops is a Hall of Fame coach. Getting one more random spot chance to coach the team that <laughs> got him to the Hall of Fame, like, Bob Stoops is going to be so jacked up for this. Are you kidding? Like, my God. <laughs> Probably, but like that doesn't mean that doesn't mean he's gonna be able to transfer that that jacked upness onto the players as well. Oh, you better believe he I will. mean you hope so. You hope that, that it's infectious and hey, how much how much have you looked into Oregon this year? Like, cause there's a pretty good argument to be made that if you just totally remove the Ohio State game from their like schedule, them and OU were by f- were like were were like cousins this year. That like they were equally as sketchy from week to week, like Oregon and OU in that regard. Like Oregon was so sketchy. When was the last time you've looked at like their results and like kind of their season? I haven't. No, I haven't. I. Um, they played a lot of close games. They played a lot of close games that probably should not have been very close, based on their on their pedigree and who they have on campus. Well, I was gonna say then. I mean, based off of that, you know, like. It, wouldn't it make sense that Oklahoma is the team now that they got rid of Riley, not got rid of him, but like Riley left and everyone's kind of hurt by that. And now they're going to be energized to want to kind of come out and be like, see, man, see what you left, see what you're missing out on. But at the same time, to your point see, that you've I'm, made in the past, though, about Mario Cristobal, is it maybe an upgrade that he's gone? 
I'm serious, and I'm actually serious about that. Like, I, I feel like, yeah, that reverse could be true for Oregon as well. Whereas, like, yeah, finally they're not being coached on game day by Mario Cristobal. And by every account, like, players love Mario Cristobal. But I'm sorry, that, that dude's offense is sucked with Justin Herbert and other NFL players. Panay Sewell was on those offenses as well. I, it's, I don't know. I, 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 think, I think there's, there's plenty of evidence out there, circumstantial evidence, that Mario Cristobal is really not that great of a college football coach. We're about to find out at Miami, but uh, like I said, yeah, I, I think there's definitely a chance that Oregon is actually energized by this and they come out and play well. All right. Not going to make a prediction today. Not going to make you do that. So I'll just ask you, because again, this could be our last podcast for the game, uh, but we just don't know enough about it. Things could change. If we do another podcast, maybe we'll make a make a call on it when we have more information. But uh, what's your gut telling you right now, a week before the game, what's going to happen in this one? I think OU is going to play really well. Um, I think it's going to be, I think it's more likely that it is a blowout than it is a close game. And that's in either direction. I, I think I think it's going to be a game where one team obviously is is out and more prepared than the other. And once the and once the team that is that is less prepared realizes that, it's going to unravel quickly. Interesting. Yeah. I I also think right now my gut's telling me though OU's going to be ready to go and ready to play well. Uh, I mean, a lot of it. I know that these are kids, and you know they they they're not as old as us. They don't know about Bob Stoops as much as we do, but. I do think this this factors in. There's so many things that that are just telling me, man, OU, 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 and and even with the opt outs, guys gone, I think Oklahoma's got a better roster. I think they're going to be uh, maybe in better shape. I mean, like you mentioned, the the defense, the defensive guys are gone, but like we're like, eh. I mean, we're pretty pretty cool with the defensive guys there. And if Oregon's offense is as one dimensional as we kind of believe it to be. I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe Brian Odom's going to be terrible at calling the game, but at the same time, I tend to agree with you. They're probably going to be more vanilla and just call whatever. And then you hope that Oklahoma is just really good at executing. Uh, and, and man, as I really so badly. I haven't done this yet, but I really – I'm afraid to, but I, I want to put a lot of money on OU right now. I just – but, man, that is not – that doesn't seem like a very I wouldn't smart do thing. that right now because I – there's a non-zero chance that Ralph Rucker is starting this game, so you should not do that. <laughs> and then if that happens and the line shoots out to, like, Oregon uh, minus more than a touchdown, then maybe you think maybe to come back on OU a little bit. Like, yeah, you know, maybe Ralph Rucker can figure something out. Oh, I think they can, they can definitely beat Oregon with Ralph Rucker. <laughs> and, like, I know that sounds silly, but it's, like, I mean, they definitely can. I mean, they, their offensive line and Kennedy Brooks would have to play really well, obviously. Um. Honestly, I'm, I'm going to say, if, if Ralph Rucker starts the game, I am certain that OU will win. Because Ralph is. is awesome. There it is. Start the, uh, start the offseason controversy. People are like, yeah, we don't need to bring in a quarterback. Ralph's got this. Ralph has got it. Ralph's the answer. Uh, all right. That's all we have for Alamo Bowl. Let's move on to some more OU 2022 talk. And uh, you might know more about this than me. It's like, so uh, your guy, Grant, Jaron Jaren, uh, Kanick. Uh, Bob Prisbilla from say, Sooner Scoop tweeted out that Canick appears to be listed in Oklahoma's directory as a student. And uh, I went ahead and, and looked it up myself, and I saw the same thing that Bob did. So, yep, he's there. And uh, it's a pretty unique name, so I can't imagine there's another uh, Jaron Canick out there. But, uh, you know, who knows? But probably him. Uh, <laughs> and also I saw that uh, 247 Sports updated that uh, their recruiting page 
for Canick on Tuesday saying that he uh, decommitted from Clemson on December 21st and committed to Oklahoma on the same day, and that was Tuesday, December the 21st. So that was on the 247 recruiting page, and then also Baker Mayfield tweeted out something on Tuesday saying, quote, uh, sometimes you got to enroll and then handle your own business. He tweeted at Canick on Twitter. So it appears like this guy is going to be a Sooner, and I know last episode – uh, you were talking about how it, it's like it was trending towards this guy joining Oklahoma, and then if Oklahoma got the wide receiver Jaden Gibson and this Canick guy out of Kansas, that that you would think that right away that those are the top two players in this class. Does that seem like what you said? I think they have the most dominating tape of anyone in the class. Um, gotcha. And so, yeah, I mean, if if, if you want to take that, you know, take that for what it's worth. Um, I just I'm. I really like this guy. And I know you commented on me. A lot of his tape is of him playing quarterback. Um, I am I am assuming that he is going to be a linebacker of some sort. Um, man, that guy can move really well. He moves really well, and he is big. He's really big, and he's fast. And uh, honestly, I'm just going to... I'm one of those guys. Number one player in Kansas should always be at Oklahoma. Always. OU should always get that guy. Um... And so I'm just I'm happy that they got the number one player in Kansas. I, I think that's getting getting the top players in a in a state, even if it is from a not you know, not a football powerhouse like the state of Kansas, is a very good thing. Um, and just I mean, go look at this guy. Look, just look how much more athletic and bigger this guy is than everyone around him. Um, and I know that doesn't always translate really well, but how often do you see guys translate really well to college who don't have dominating high school tape? And this, this, like, this, go turn on this guy's tape. This guy is just flat out so much better than everyone around him. So much better, so much more athletic than everyone around him. It's just, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of jarring, actually. So, um, and yeah, and I, 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 I felt, I felt the same way about watching Jaden Gibson, him just kind of mossing dudes and, and, you know, being able to move so well at his size at the, you know, the top class of Florida football. That's uh, that's impressive to me um, for, a, you know, for a group of guys for, for a recruiting class that hey, like, I'm not I'm not a film junkie. I'm not a guy who is sitting here and watched a ton of these guys who, at, you know, at first look did not have super, super dominating film in high school kind of throughout the class. A lot of a lot of guys who I think are quote unquote projects in this class, guys who who definitely fit like the physical billing, but maybe necessarily haven't reached their full potential yet. But I think kind of the half glass full way to look at that would be I, I do feel a lot better about a Brent Venables led regime developing those guys than I did, you know, the last regime. And that's based on five years of, of evidence. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I watch his tape. Uh, yeah, he looks dominant. It's almost exclusively. I watched his senior year stuff. So most recent, it's about three minutes long. And it's exclusively almost all of him just playing quarterback and running and and he's fast and. There's some tape of him like running over guys, and there are some you know some snaps of him playing linebacker, and and he makes some plays there. You know, I'd like to see more of him playing linebacker, but I mean he's an athlete, he's really good, he's really fast, he's a track star, he's big. I think he's I think he's uh, listed at six two, like two ten according to uh, two four seven, uh, and he can get bigger than that. So um, definitely a good get. I I see what you saw. I get it. And to your last point. Any, especially defensively, uh, any defensive guys now coming into Oklahoma, I just I will instantly feel a lot better of their 
their potential development than I did in the previous regime. I mean, nothing against Alex Grinch, nothing against those guys, uh, but it's Brent Venables, man, and his assistant coaches. I mean, hopefully it's going to be fine, but Venables can develop guys, and you know, hopefully he can find uh, – I, I know the Sooner Scoop guys were talking on their most recent podcast. Between now and the February signing period, how many other players can you add to this class that kind of got overlooked maybe? And you know, maybe Brent Venables is a guy that can potentially f- figure out uh, certain players that – you know, maybe we're overlooked and can bring in and, and actually be good. Uh, okay, so are you are you in a problem there? Uh, no, I just I'm my my AirPods are running out of juice, and I'm looking for the case which I just had in my hand. Oh, having a little on air production meeting here. Uh, Don't you hate when that happens when you have well, something in your I think hand we're about, and you haven't? Oh yeah, and you haven't you haven't moved at all, and yet you still can't find it. It's just it's ridiculous. Okay. Oh, there it is. It was underneath my hat. <laughs> Uh, okay. <laughs> is there any- I had something else. I had something else to say, but I totally forgot what it was. So is it something on the twenty twenty two class? Is he the only guy that's? It was yes. Uh, Caden Helms. I think he he's official since the last podcast. The tight end. Yes, it does. It yes, it it does appear the the hold up last week was that his high school just did the signing ceremony on Thursday and not Wednesday. So there was. There was much ado about nothing there, which is good because I'm he's he's probably my third favorite player in this class. I've seen on uh, just people tweeting about it. Uh, apparently, there's a guy that is a potential addition to this class that that they're trying to recruit. Ahmad Moten, a big defensive tackle, uh, rivals four star. Yeah. So I think he's a three star on two four seven. I watched a little bit of his tape earlier. I I saw that he is. He plays like class 4A in Florida. Uh, and to compare, I think Gibson, the, the big receiver, is class 8A. I'm not sure the difference between 8A Florida football and 4A Florida football. Somebody that knows more about recruiting can definitely uh, you know, tell me the difference. But, I mean, he's 6'4", 290. So he's definitely got the body of a guy that could be a good defensive tackle. And, uh, you know. Oklahoma needs those guys. They need those guys. So that's another player that I've seen as a potential target for Brent Venables in the in the next signing period. I believe they just need to go. Uh, they just need to go ahead and extend a scholarship offer to Coy Eakin over at Stevensville, and uh, then we can go and put a bow on this class. Okay, everyone can go uh, home happy. I I do kind of want to talk about that man, uh, Coy Aiken. I think is how you pronounce his name. I, is it? It's it's spelled E A K I N, and I yeah. Figured that was Eakin, but I, I mean, I don't know. So I, I did see that after the – he plays for what? Stephenville High School in Texas. And after they won the state title, I did see – I think he tweeted out that he did get a, a – finally he got a Division One offer from, I think, Western Kentucky. And I haven't checked in a couple of days. And yeah. And geez, man. It's like – I'm just saying, man, like Kale Gundy or whoever is whatever, just – yeah, don't let that guy leave. Don't let him go to Western Kentucky and watch him have like three thousand career receiving yards at Western Kentucky. Just don't do it. Just get him, get him to OU. I just don't like. What am I missing? So if it, if anybody is on Twitter and follows me, I tweeted out a couple, you know, last week. Coy Aiken from Stephenville, he dominated the state championship game. I think that's Class Four A in Texas, and Class Four A in Texas. I mean, Oklahoma has recruited guys from I know at least three A. Uh, and I mean, class four, a, I mean, Texas goes up to six, a, so there's definitely some, there's some talent in class four, a Texas high school football. This dude, six, three, 
185. He's also, I think he also runs track. And he moves really well. And he was dominating kids in in 4A's. And the whole thing is, I just don't understand. You look at his his recruiting profile. No stars. Didn't have a Division One offer until after that game. And now I'm looking at it. I saw. I think he tweeted out Western Kentucky offered him. And now, according to 247, uh, North Texas is on his list. So I'm maybe that means that North Texas has also offered him as well. I don't know. Uh, Sam Houston State, which is FCS, I know that, uh, and Texas State, which is Division One. So I guess there's now three D1 schools that are, uh, according to 247, warm to him. So like after that game, it looks like he's gotten some attention, which is great for him. But it, like I tweeted out, like anybody that knows anything about recruiting, please explain to me why this guy has zero stars and has no D1 offers. Because look at his numbers. Like he's what like two thousand yards receiving like a bunch of like thirty he had, touchdowns. He had two thousand yards and thirty one touchdowns his senior year. I, I mean, I, I I would guess he's not on people's radars. Uh, one, if you go, like he he didn't really have a huge junior year at all, so it was okay, mostly so maybe that's kind it. of a late bloomer in that regard. Um, and he probably didn't go to a ton of camps and stuff and do seven on seven stuff. Yeah, it, so I mean, maybe I I just don't know what I'm talking about, but like. You watch the guy play. I watched his high, like not just from the state championship game, but like also his highlights on Huddle or whatever. And he's <laughs> he's like one of those players that you see and you think, oh, this guy's better than like everybody on the field. Like, what am I missing here? And normally, like that's a big thing that you point out. Like you mentioned, uh, Canick and Gibson, like their high school tape, they looked really dominant watching it. You know, and and this guy, his his high school tape, his senior year tape looks pretty dominant. So anyway, I don't know. I mean, whatever. Like. Good, I don't know this kid know nothing about him literally found out about this kid five minutes ago it's just more of my questioning of like i don't understand recruiting <laughs> i i don't get it because dude there's I, I mean yeah there's guys who slip through the cracks like all the time of course it's not it's not like relatively speaking it's not something that is is the norm but i like, guys like him go and end up at places like western kentucky all the time and then end up breaking a ton of records um and it's just always just like and then you're always like a lot of the the power five schools are always left thinking, gosh, how we miss that dude. And I mean, I remember like I remember when Drake Stoops was being recruited, and I, he, I know he's a he was a walk on at OU. And I got you know I got to think Texas four A football and the highest class in Oklahoma are probably pretty similar, right? Maybe four A Texas football is probably a little better. Um, I I remember watching Drake Stoops and seeing that he exclusively had MAC offers, only from schools in the MAC. And I'm just like, um. That dude's by far the best player on the field. If he comes to OU, he's going to be a good player. Um, and yeah, he walks on at OU, and what do you know? Drake Stoops is a really good football player for OU. Um, it's it's the same with this guy. Like, I mean, this guy is, in my mind, is uh, he, he he looks like a really nice prospect, a guy who's going to who, who could come in right away and be a good player, at least for a Group of Five school. Because. Um, I mean, gosh, man, he's 6'3", 185, and he doesn't even look skinny really at all. Like, he kind of, like, he's got some definition and some, like, and some muscle on him. So, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of more with you. Where it's like, yeah, I mean, I don't, do I really think, oh, you should go after him? Like, no, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not an expert, but I was watching Texas high school football on that day, and I, was, I watched a lot of games, and he was by far the best player that I saw in, like, the three games that I watched. And that's, I don't know, it's kind of a head-scratcher to me. So, yeah, maybe it's just simply, like you said, he's a late bloomer. 
he didn't have very good junior tape or something. He didn't play much. And maybe that's because I, I just know before that, I mean, I was looking at his two four because I think that the day it happened, you and I were like, OK, what's going on with this guy? And looking at his uh, the, the teams that were looking, you know, that he was like uh, possibly going to be going to on two four seven. It was like all these uh, FCS schools and like Division two, like Washita Baptist, Tarleton State. Uh, incarnate word I, i'm pretty sure these are all uh, either fcs or d2 schools and now you look at it I, I just went to his twitter his twitter profile and sure enough yeah he has he has an offer now from north texas from western kentucky and from texas state and how a bunch of like there's so many d1 schools in texas how and not in sam houston state which is obviously a very good fcs school but like how a lot of these d1 schools in texas haven't even like like I mean, haven't even offered him like a like a Texas Tech or a, even a TCU or a UTSA. Like he clearly just has slipped through the cracks. Maybe just nobody knew, nobody knew who he was, and all it took was for him to play at that high of a level in the state title game, and now he, he finally got a little bit of publicity. Yeah, I mean this was a this was a little before your time, but I I kind of I refuse to believe that you know they like guys like Dahu Green were good enough to come to OU. Um, and then guys like this just totally just slip through the cracks. It didn't make a lot of sense to me. It's kind of weird. But um, no, I, I thought that was really interesting. That was kind of I always forget about the Texas like Texas high school football like kind of near Christmas time, this time of year, and it always it always just kind of catches me by surprise. And so, yeah, man, I was sitting there watching high school football like this past weekend, and I was just like, who is this guy? Like this guy is insanely good. I, I remember like going like on his recruiting pro- like profile, thinking that like yeah, he's probably going to like SMU or like Houston or something, and then just like nothing. Didn't have a single D one offer. It's insane. And not only was he dominating as a receiver in that game, and you go and, like all of his touchdowns are like cool. I mean, like they're like they're in different ways. They're cool. Like he has like a one handed touchdown catch. He like mosses a guy. I think he just he he catches and runs and breaks a couple of tackles. Uh, but there's one of the biggest plays from this past weekend that you all may have seen on SportsCenter. He was the guy, uh, there was a catch, and uh, no, there was an interception, and he was the intended receiver, and he ran the guy from behind and forced a fumble that his own teammate then recovered and then ran in for a touchdown. That was like one of the most uh, like, like top plays of this past week. And so like, he was the guy that was heady enough to like force a fumble that was recovered by his team, and then they ended up scoring a touchdown anyways. <laughs> So I mean, I mean, he was a, obviously made a smart play there, heady play. So good for this kid. He he's getting some some love now, and it looks like he's going to get a chance to go play D one football and get his whole his whole school paid for. So good for him. Basically, what I'm saying is, you should offer this guy because he's obviously going to win the Bolitnikov. So come on, guys, like get out ahead of it. <laughs> uh, any other developments in the class of 2022 You want to talk about? No, nah, I think every, everything else would just kind of be theoretical. Okay. Other than that, I think we're uh, any, any OU stuff I've missed. Oh, you, oh, I, you mentioned Drake Stoops a second ago. Uh, he's good to go. Apparently, he's good to go for this game. I guess he had a groin injury. This is old news. You all may have heard this before, but we didn't talk about it on the podcast. Uh, he's good to go. So Drake Stoops is also one of the players. Also, kind of curious now that Theo Weiss announced he's coming back active, like for some of these games of late. I wonder if Theo Weiss is going to play. If he's actually going to get some some run. He's listed on uh, in the depth chart, but he's behind Trevon West at that receiver spot. So I don't know. We'll see if he's healthy enough to play. That'd be kind of I'm interested to watch that. Other than that, um, 
I think bowl season so far has been awful because I've been terrible picking winners and picking uh, you know games against the spread. So uh, not that you guys care about that. I think bowl games have been awful <laughs> just based off of that. Uh, other than that, man, uh, I'm I'm about cash. Anything else on your mind? No, not really. Yeah, I don't um, I don't have any really thoughts on the bowl season so far. Um, I know what like it was the what game was it that ended in crazy controversy last week? Um, oh, um, oh gosh, I uh, can't Coastal remember. Carolina with like Coastal it was Carolina and uh, they couldn't even get whoever they were. Yeah, playing. yeah. That was an, that that was an entertaining game. That was that was pretty entertaining. Um I don't know though. Yeah. Like I, you know, I'm I was hoping this season I'd be a little more jazz for the bowl season. I I was I was hoping last year that it was it was mostly just kind of the covid stuff was was the reason why I wasn't super excited for bowl uh, bowl season. But I'm I'm definitely f- having having that feeling carry uh, carry over into this year. Um and so I don't know. I'd like to be able to explain it better. I used to love bowl games. I used to get into them a ton, and so. Uh, but yeah, I, I just I they haven't really glued me to my TV screen like I usually do, and um, I don't know something else going on because I mean these uh, these lower bowl games haven't been as affected with opt outs and stuff. So um, I don't know. Definitely some some food for thought, something to chew on in the off season. All right, so I'll tr- we'll, we'll try to get another podcast before the bowl game next week, but I can't guarantee it just because of my work schedule. Do you have anything going on Monday, Tuesday that would prevent you from doing a podcast next week? Okay. No. All right. I so, I mean, it would be cool if we can get another one in just because then I, we can you know, have some updates and I can talk about what it's like being on scene there in San Antonio. So, we'll, we'll try for that. That could be kind of interesting. But uh, if not, uh, enjoy the game and obviously have a Merry Christmas, everybody. That's coming up as well. Uh, all right. So, any final thoughts, Grant? All right, so until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.